Michigan Soccer Central. Hello listeners and welcome to Michigan Soccer Central. I'm Robert Kerr, here with you on your source for updates and conversations from across uh, soccer in the Great Lakes State. Lots of levels at play right now, uh, from professionals down to the very youngest of youth players, here on the last week of September in the fall of 2021. Uh, this week, we've got a couple great feature interview guests to speak with. But first, we've got a couple uh, mitten soccer notes. It was back to form for Michigan's pro sides. Participating in NISA, Detroit City FC, wins by one over second place LA Force. A great bounce back performance, a real tight affair to come back from their first loss in almost a year. Michigan Stars come back to form themselves, getting a draw on the road against the Chicago House. University of Michigan played a historic match against Northwestern. It was the first meeting of two black coaches in a Power 5 Conference college game. With the historic matchup between Shaka Daly's Wolverines and Northwestern's uh, Russell Payne's-led side, came a historic performance on the field. Stony Creek alumni and Michigan senior Kevin Buka terrorized Northwestern and netted the first Wolverine hat-trick since 2015. Congratulations, Kevin and the Wolverines. Up next, a big test on Friday as they travel to Indiana University. Be sure to send in your nominations if you see an outstanding performance by a youth team on or off the field, send in your nominations for the crossover between Michigan Soccer Central and We Are Soccer. We Are Soccer is a soccer-dedicated program that airs on the Woodward Sports Network, hosted by a former guest and Michigan State uh, alumni, Craig Hearn. Uh, we've been featuring outstanding performances on and off the field on their show and broadcast across all of our social medias. Again, send us a message if you see the team of the week here in Michigan, and our panel will uh, find our nomination each and every week and airs on Saturday morning and is uh, retweeted and spread across the social medias all through the week. So send those in. All right, two great feature interviews now. We check in with Michigan Soccer Central and Michigan Radio's Josh Hakala about his coverage in the U.S. Open Cup and see what's going on and what is happening with that most historic tournament. But first, we hear from De La Salle Pilots head coach Thayer Mukhtar. Robert Kerr back with you here on Michigan Soccer Central. Late last week, a championship one was won in Southeast Michigan with a draw, no less. A nil-nil draw with UD Jesuit was enough to clinch the Catholic League Central Division for De La Salle Collegiate Boys. To hear more on this achievement, we're um, thankful to be joined by head coach of the De La Salle Boys team, Thayer Mukhtar. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, we played uh, at UAD on Thursday. It's a very, very difficult place to play. They draw really well over there. And as a visiting team heading to UAD, it really makes it a, a challenging thing. Uh, we ended up with a 0-0 draw. We uh, had a game plan going in. The boys did a great job of following the game plan. Uh, reason that we clinched the division simply, it wasn't just our tie. It was Catholic Central beating Brother Rice 3-1 to one that same day. And based on points, the Cell now has nine points, and the next team close to us would be UAD at six. And with both teams having one game left uh, this Thursday coming up, uh, based on our head-to-head -head, uh, competition against UAD, uh, I mean, we were, were first in the Catholic League uh, going to the Catholic League Championship game. Congratulations um, uh, on the achievement. Thank you, Robert. It was a uh, it's a uh, long overdue. I mean, we're just uh, it seems like the last few years we've been uh, like a, a half a game away from winning the uh, division and going to the Catholic championship. It's, it seems like all three years we're just a half a game away. And uh, this year the boys got it done. And it's quite achievement. Honestly, this year is that we've had only one starter returning from last year. We lost 16 seniors. 
last year and things like that. And so uh, boys worked hard in that game and they've done a great job. Our Catholic Central Division is an extremely difficult division. And to go five games in right now without a loss, we're the only team that has that record right now with no loss in the Catholic League. And that's pretty impressive. And um, hats off to our, our players. I was going to ask you in a little bit about it, but since you lost so many seniors, so what was the um, the ages or the the classes of the players uh, that uh, played key roles this year? Well, I'll be honest with you. We basically moved our JV up to varsity. <laughs> I mean, that was basically when you lose 16 seniors, you don't have a ton returning from the year before, so you got to replace them. So we took our JVA players and moved them up. Uh, we had some juniors playing JVA based on uh, the talent we had on the team last year. I mean, you got to remember team last year, we, you know, we only lost three games and then uh, one was in the regionals against Catholic central. And that was a tough loss. Uh, we believe that had we won that game in the regionals last year, it would have been state champs as Catholic central went on to win it. And so replacing everybody was just trying to get a whole group of new kids to come in and play our system and learn the expectations of playing at the highest level. So your JV sides at De La Salle play um, to the systems that you play at the, the varsity level? As much as possible. We try to teach them to play ball control, movement off the ball. Uh, we try to teach them the, the right way to play, not to play cake ball and, 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 and just, you know, possession soccer, possession soccer, possession soccer. And so, but we also got to, you know, teach them that high school sports, high school sports is honestly about working hard and wanting it more than your opponent. What are some of the messages um, you and your coaches use to, to make that uh, transition if from kickball to, to having uh, possession mindedness in, in young players? Well, me as a, as an educator in the classroom, me as an educator, uh, uh, as a coach and things like that, I always stress the idea is you're better than that. You can do more than what you're doing. I tell that to my students. I tell that to my athletes. I'm always one of those positive individuals that when people tell me this student, that's all he can do. I say, uh, he can do a lot more when this, uh, oh, you're not going to get much from this athlete. Oh, yes, I will. And things like that. So in many cases we go into this year, most coaches would have said, oh, it's going to be a rebuilding year. We lost a lot of guys and they're already crying the blues at De La Salle, We say, we don't have rebuilding years. We have retooling years. So in many cases, next man up. Now, I expect you to play possession. I expect you to replace a Spencer Lobo. I expect you to replace a Matt Rafferty. I expect you to replace C.J. Fritz, All-State players, and things like that, that, you know, playing college soccer and things like that. Next man up, get up there and get the job done. Play like they did to help their team win. That's awesome. Thank you for that insight and uh that energy. I really like that. Um, coming back to kind of review your season, what were the highlights and what were some pivotal moments to um, your, your conference schedule that got you undefeated there? Well, uh, we hosted UAD and, uh, and then, uh, well, the first game we hosted CC and we got a We had a draw against CC. Uh, it was, it, it should have been a draw. It was an even game and things like that. Uh, then we hosted UAD and we got away with a two to one victory, holding on for the victory, to be honest with you. It was a tough, tough game at our place. Uh, one of the keys was it was in our place. We have a nice big field. Much of UAD's playing style is set pieces, throw-ins, corner kicks into the into the box and, and crash the net and try to score on you and things like that. Uh, so in our place, it's a wide field. We kind of neutralized that a bit. But getting that two to one victory in that second game in the in the in the Catholic League was huge. That one propelled us to, you know, jump into first place. There's only four teams in the central division. And all four of those teams can beat anybody at any given day between Catholic Central, UAD, us, and Brother Rice. So getting that was awesome. Then we had a draw against uh, Brother Rice. Then we went to UAD, I mean Catholic Central and we got a one-nothing victory there. And that was big. And 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 uh that kind of put us kind of I you know in the driver's seat, honestly. Looking at your season um a little bit closer, um, you had that undefeated record in the uh, Catholic League, but you kind of had a diverging uh record in non-conference schedule. Um tell us about some of the difficulties in the non-conference schedule. Well, we play a very, very difficult non-conference schedule. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and to be honest with you, it's a, it's a very, very challenging 
many coaches would not have put that schedule together based on the players they have returning and new players coming in and things like that. I don't coach for the season. I coach for the playoffs. I always tell my boys, I don't coach for one game. I coach to see where we're at at the end. Uh, example, Robert, is simply if a player makes a mistake and we still win 4 nothing, I'm going to hit that mistake because that could be the mistake. I always say this over and over. That sends all your brothers home from the tournament. Correct that mistake. It didn't matter now, but it could matter later. So in many cases, we challenge our players. We fell short at times. We are unlucky at times. And other times, to be frank, we played great teams and outplayed us. And we got to get better. And, you know, it's always a common joke. Does Coach Mukhtar ever smile? I, I always say, yeah, state championship, I'll smile. <laughs> you know, and things like that. I'm never satisfied till uh, unless we're playing November 6th in the state championship. And so in many cases, um, I'm a, a very uh, uh, demanding coach, meaning that I expect perfection. I expect st- athletes and students never to be happy unless they're excelling. You know, attitudes lead is a difference between my athletes being mediocre or being excellent. So come in with the attitude of I'm going to work hard to be a state champ. I'm going to do everything I can to be the best. And our, you know, common theme at dealer cell always, and when it's playoff time, we call it dealer cell time. Uh, I've tell you, you know, as a head coach at dealer cell, I think I've coached, uh, I'm trying to think 32 years and we made the regionals 28 times. And I don't know of any other sport or any other team. It sounds like a, basketball during Southwestern days, you know, and stuff like that. You make, you win the districts every year and go to the regionals. Uh, between De La Salle and Frazier, I've taken 11 teams to the final four. And I guess my point of view is being demanding, being optimistic, pushing the players, getting six teams to state championships, winning five times seems to work. No doubt. So I am a little bit uh, new to the calendar. Can you explain? So you said uh, beginning in November is when uh, the potential uh, championship celebration could be. How many, like you have some non-conference games uh, remaining or you have some games games remaining, but how does the, what does the the playoff uh, schedule look like? Well, we play Brother Rice on Thursday at Lawrence Tech uh, University. Uh, Big game Thursday, 7.30 over uh, at, at Thursday. Um, I mean, obviously, even though we, you know, we're into the Catholic uh, championship, we still want to win. It's still sell brother rice. It could be checkers and it's still deal sell brother rice. You want to win, you know, and things like that. So we play Thursday. Uh, we come back on uh, Saturday and host a tough, a very, very tough East Lansing team. Uh, one of the best teams in the state and things like that. Uh, we kind of finish off the season. Uh, with games against uh, Hamtramck at Keyworth Stadium. I want to give my kids the ex- uh, experience of playing at Keyworth Stadium. Uh, and then we uh, uh, finish off at uh, uh, Waterford Mott to get ready for the playoffs. The playoffs start October 18th. Well, the, first of all, going back, the Catholic League Championship game is October 13th, Wednesday, October 13th. I believe that's a, a Wednesday, yep. And that's going to be against the winner of the double uh, A. As of right now, it looks like it's going to be DLSL Cranbrook in that game. Then the districts begin October 18th and then shortly followed by the regionals and then the state semifinals and the finals on November 6th. Uh, that would be awesome. And I really like that you already have that uh, clearly in mind. I have one thing I've been learning is definitely go into projects with the, uh, the end result in mind at the beginning, but uh, going through the, the the remaining of the regular season schedule, I wanted to ask you about a team that's been absolutely outstanding that I see on your schedule. They only they uh, have, I believe, thirteen wins and just one draw. Anchor Bay Tars. Um, what can you tell us about that team? They, they are on fire. They're loaded. Uh, they have uh, some of the best midfielders in the state. Uh, the Hodges boys are, are excellent uh, and things like that. And uh, Middlestad's good. They got a lot of good players. Their goalkeeping is solid. Um, they have a, a an extremely solid team. I think that maybe the major difference right now is the only thing I would I would question right now is they can play with anyone and beat anybody, but did they play a tough enough non-league schedule? Uh, so to 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 be prepared to what they're going to see in the playoffs. One of the things why we play a, a very difficult 
uh, 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 schedule during the season is that the kids are used to the intensity when they get into the playoff and things like that. Uh, Anchor Bay is, is as good a team as any out there. We played, we scrimmaged Clarkston. They're one of the top teams in the state. We just got honestly crushed by Troy. They're one of the top teams in the state. We actually had Anchor Bay on the schedule, and we were supposed to reschedule it because didn't realize that, you know, it gave us three games in a row. So we had to get rid of the middle game, and that was Anchor Bay in, th in that situation. So we have not rescheduled that yet. Um, me and Nate Williams, the coach, have talked about it and things like that in that situation. So it, it is what it is. Uh, I would have loved to play them just to gauge where we're at talent-wise. They're much more talented than we are and things like that. But it would have – it would have continued doing what, I'm, I, what I want to do, play the top teams, intense games to get ready for districts and regionals. With uh, the tests that you've um, uh, overcome and challenges that you've put before your team and experiences you've laid out, that's awesome that uh, um, you, you, you want them to experience Keyworth Stadium. Um, so I guess uh, what uh, have you learned through the lessons of this season, what you want to instill in your team moving into this postseason? Um, that, you know, <clears throat> I, I guess what I've learned is that we need to continue to work on progressing in the attacking zone. Uh, we have to, we lost a lot of offense. Honestly, we have like six goals returning from 77 goals we scored last year. <laughs> I mean, that's not much. So that means you lost all your offense. That seems to be right now our Achilles heel. Simply getting from point A to point B, once we get in the attacking third, making the right runs in place. And those are things that we're going to be working on in the next – we worked on it all day yesterday. We'll continue to work on it today. We'll continue to work on it tomorrow in preparation for Brother Rice and in preparation going forward. So the one thing I, I've learned on is uh, I'm counting on players to step up and do their share offensively, get into, into the attacking zone, changing our – pace of our runs. Uh, in many cases, we're easy to, you know, kind of, and I've talked to the boys, we're easy to mark up because we don't change our pace. Where's that first step explosiveness to get separation from your opponent? And those all come, honestly, with experience, Robert. Many of them don't have a ton of experience playing at the highest club level or the highest uh, varsity soccer level since many of them are first-year soccer players, varsity players. Um. Shifting to uh, kind of a more personal thing, what has been uh, your favorite part of the, your journey as a, a coach in Michigan and uh, in at the clubs that you've uh, spent your career? I, the most satisfaction I ever get from coaching or teaching is stopping, making students and athletes believe they can accomplish anything they put their mind to it. Uh, 10 years ago, when I, I left De La Salle for a little while, went to coach Frazier for six years, I took an average or below average Frazier team in that first year and won the division and broke the school record for the most wins. Simply put, it wasn't just about X's and O's. It was about working hard and twisting their minds, changing their mindset that it's okay to be average to it's not acceptable to be average. You have a chance to win state championships. And the second year there, I took little old Frazier to the final four undefeated. Lost only on PKs. They could have been in the finals, you know, the second year I was there and things like that. But main thing, you know, I, what I get satisfaction is people saying, wow, where's that kid come from? Or wow, how did De La Salle get to the Catholic Championship game with that, with, with everyone gone? You know, and things like that with all their superstars from last year all graduated. And it's, it's I mean, I don't put it this way, but it's basically like, Stopping the naysayers saying bad, negative things about my boys. By having my boys go out there and basically say, let's show everybody. Let's come in with an attitude and show everybody. It's the same thing when I talk to a student. Hey, you know, somebody says this or that about you. and think, Are you going to let them be right or are you going to change their and prove them wrong? And I think that's, you know, it's not about me. It's not about, you know, the coaches of the year or the Hall of Fames. Or it's me about watching a young man send me an email or text down the road and say, Mr. Mukhtar, I got into medical school. I want to thank you for making me mentally tough. I'm doing great. And things like that. I'll never forget what you do. You know, it's, it's little things like that, that 
when I see my old students or athletes come back and tell me how great they're doing, that's the greatest satisfaction. I teach not because of the money. I teach not because I can't do anything else. There's other things I can do. I teach because it's a vocation from God. I feel like I, I, I can push students and, and athletes to get to believe in themselves and get more out of their life and reach their potential. That's my greatest satisfaction as a person, as a human being. I think that's why God put me on earth. To be a teacher? To be a teacher, to have influence over people. What could you say to uh, like a middle school aged player um, that didn't hasn't played club or anything like that to um, help them improve to maybe have a chance at uh, getting on the school team once they hit high school age? I always say this. I don't care what club team you played on. I don't care what you've done. You're going to be judged when you get to us. I've taken guys who played CYO soccer, never played at travel soccer and things like that, and they became all-staters. I, we judge you on what you do when you get here. Honestly, Robert, I judge athletes that I get in my program based on their work rate and their passion. A talented player may not work and improve. A player not as talented is working hard to close that gap and will eventually pass that talented get, you know, player. So I'm always stressing at my camps and different things. Work hard. That's the first thing a coach looks for is your work ethic. That's something that you can control. You know, as an athlete, you can control what you put in. And I, I even said it yesterday to one of my strikers. I say, when I tell you make that hard, passionate diagonal run through the box, make it. I don't care if you trip halfway. I don't care if the ball, you stumble over the ball. Just do what I tell you and make that run hard with passion, with pace. That's the right play and things like that. So in many cases, it's just emphasizing to them that they're going to get a fair shake. If I get a ninth grader next year that comes in to deal sell and is good enough to make my varsity, he's going to make my varsity. I'm, I love my seniors. I'm loyal to my players, but not loyal enough to not pick the top 20 players, field players on my varsity team. Regardless where they came from, Robert, honestly. That's awesome to hear. Um, based on something, I have very young children. And I, I mean, I don't know if I'll ever be in the place to to spend significant funds on their soccer. But I want them to be as good as they possibly can be at the same time. So I'm curious to see. I, I love that answer. Um, kind of a, just kind of a, a look back, a, more of a fun question. Um what has been the, the best goal that you have seen scored in your career? In my career? Yeah. Oh, there's been a lot. Uh, I love probably. stories of goals. <laughs> Sam Grillo, 2005. We're playing Lance Cruz North in the regional game. They had one of the top teams in the state that year. And in the regionals, and he comes up and, and from about 15 yards in the air, twisted, kind of – hammered it realistically it looks like from the back of his head into the back of the net that was pretty impressive uh mike leone who's now my one of my assistant coaches um uh, went in and i think it was it might have been um i'm trying to get the year probably two yeah it was 2011 comes in on a cross and chests the ball from about 12 yards out like a line drive into the net uh, those two are significant. There's other huge goals, obviously, in state championship games that we played that players scored that, you know, that were huge goals. But those two are the wow goals, I guess. <laughs> um, before we uh, go our separate ways today, um, what are some of the places uh, people, if they're interested in uh, De La Salle and its athletics programs, where can uh, we send them? They can go to the admissions office at De La Salle. They can contact De La Salle. It's all over the website. Uh, the office for admissions, uh, the phone number is 586-541-6220. Call Zach Issa, I-S-S-A, and they can get information on De La Salle. They can set up a one-day uh, uh, shadow with a, a student here to get a feel of what the school's all about. We have that a lot. We have a couple guys 
a few guys shadowing today so they could set that up with them. They can get a feel. They can go out and take a look at the stadium. Uh, they can come to some of our home games, although we're kind of at the end of the home games schedule, to be honest with you. We just have Waterford left on that one. Uh, but they can um, – I mean, we'd love to entertain them, talk to them. Um, I can't really t- – contact them per se, unless they come to deal sell. And then they have questions. Uh, for me, always, it's always academics first and then soccer second and things like that. Um, so, you know, again, deal sell is, it's just, uh, some people think that it's honestly, I've been here teaching here for 27 years, been involved with this school for over 30, 39 years. And, it's not a difficult school. The only difference I think DLSL and other schools, DLSL holds you accountable. You're not going to sit in the classroom and get a passing grade. You have to show up. You have to do stay on task. We pre- it's a college prep. And reasons why, I, people ask me, why would I, why should I send, send my son DLSL? Regardless of what you hear, Robert, DLSL is safe. Your son's going to come to school. I swear to God, in 38 years, my children said, I have never broken up a fist fight in this school. I, you know, I've been involved with public schools. I've, I started my career teaching at a public school for three years, this and that as a teacher and everything like that. I have never. So your son's going to come safe. He's going to get spiritual guidance. We always relate everything to God, morals and values. We start every class with, let's remember we are in the holy presence of God. To remind kids their actions are in front of God. We start every school day with the Pledge of Allegiance and things like that, as many schools do in that situation. So he's, And then he's going to get a great education. De La Salle is a college prep. You're not going to send your son and spend 13 grand to, to come here and not have ambitions of him going to a university. And one thing we find out, and I've got hundreds of letters to prove me right and things, when they get to college, they'll send letters saying, thank you, Mr. Maktar, thank you, coach. I'm so prepared in college compared to some other people. I know how to get the work done. I know how to organize. I know how to structure my life and things. And I think that's what you get. I've had my son graduate from DLSL. I've had six nephews graduate from DLSL. And I guess, Robert, the best thing I would say to you, and you have young children, Yes, sir. I would not have my family commit that kind of money and that kind of effort and commitment to send their children to deal sell if I did not think the school was worth it. Going back to, um, I, I was thinking about your trip, taking your team to Hamtramck for the experience of playing in that stadium at Kenilworth. Um, what do you, has the, uh, rise of Detroit City FC and uh, the abundance of like semi-pro teams or elite amateur teams in the state. Has that had an effect on uh, your students or your players? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of them followed. I, I mean, I was at a couple of D- Detroit FC games. This, uh, yeah, I was at the championship game and things like that. So I, I think the kids read uh, the news and the, and the uh, social media and everything and see uh, the impact it has. Uh, I think the Detroit area is absolutely ready for an MLS team eventually and things like that. But I think they follow it. I think they they get it. I mean, main thing is soccer followers will follow it. It's just getting the general public to follow it like they do football, basketball, and other sports. But to give them that experience to play in that stadium, it, it's kind of cool stadium the way it's laid out. I don't know if you've been there before. Oh, many times, yes. Yeah, Keyword Stadium is really kind of cool stadium the way it's laid out. And to give them that exposure uh, and and things like that to play, you know, a, in the past years we played we played there two years ago and um, uh, we beat Hamtramck one nothing or something like that. It was a good game, so uh, we're looking forward to a good game uh, again this year. And so it's it's kind of exciting. Yeah, I took my son for his first ever soccer game, and uh, the train went by during the national anthem. It was a <laughs> pretty epic moment there. That's well. Cool. <laughs> Yeah, that was super, super cool. Is there anything else you want to share um, with the listeners before we we go? The only thing I would say is, you know, let your son or daughter enjoy the game. Too many times we put so much pressure on young children. And and I'll go to watch a youth game and parents are screaming because their son missed the goal. You know, and we're talking under eight and things like that. Let him enjoy the game. People think 
athletes quit playing sports, honestly, because of coaches or players. Uh, sports psychologists said the one reason why some athletes quit playing, it's the parents. The pressure that parents put. And I, I see it at times that dads are playing the game. I mean, their son is playing the game. for the, the, I mean, it's like something like this. I'll be, I, I, maybe I shouldn't say that. I'm turning people, parents off. But the dad says, yes, we did it. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, no, your son scored the goal, not you. <laughs> you know, your son played great and things like that. Be supportive. Don't criticize your son when he makes mistakes. That's the job of the coaching staff to critique the mistakes and to encourage your, your child to have fun. That's the big thing. When it stops being fun for kids, then they stop playing. You know, I get a lot of people saying, uh, you know, my son used to play soccer and things like that. He gave it up or football or other sports, not just soccer, Robert. And they gave it up. And you always wonder, okay, what is the reason why they gave it up? And it always plays a role, you know, in my back of my mind and things. So the only one advice I would give parents is simply be supportive of your child and be positive. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much uh, for that advice. And thank you so much for your time. Uh, coach Thayer, uh, Thayer Mukhtar, uh, head coach of De La Salle Boys Varsity. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate it. segment i want to explore something uh in uh, american soccer that does have a bit of tradition behind it to help us uh learn what's going on in u.s open cup action we are lucky enough to be joined by josh hakala of msc and the senior editor of the cup.us a website dedicated to the lamar hunt u.s open cup welcome josh thanks for coming on the show yeah, thanks for having me. It, it, we are a Michigan-made product. We are we created the site in Lansing, Michigan, back in two thousand three. So it's been uh, it's been a a long journey. Okay, so before you let us know um, the recent action, uh, the U.S. Open Cup just got back into action. Uh, just briefly, tell us for those who don't know what is the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. Well, the uh, the best way to put it is that, well, if you're a European soccer fan, the easiest way to say it is it's basically America's version of the FA Cup. So if uh, I always like to tell people that it is, it is the, it's our national championship is really what it is. It was started in 1913 and up until very recently, thanks to a, a pandemic that we've been experiencing and are still experiencing, uh, it was the one of the second oldest continually operating soccer tournaments in the world and you know that obviously uh, that record came to an end but it's got a lot of a rich history it's been it's been going on for over a hundred years and it basically the way that i put it to fans of all sports is i i try to take the you know for the fans maybe who aren't soccer fans i i tell them like baseball how baseball is single a double a triple a and all that stuff like imagine if like the lansing lug nuts could play against the new york yankees in a tournament, a single elimination March Madness tournament in the middle of the season. That's that's basically what it is. Is teams from all levels can play each other, and it you know starts down to the the amateur team. So I really actually saying the Lansing Lugnuts probably doesn't do it justice because it's not only the Lansing Lugnuts, but it's also like that beer league team that you know plays on the weekends. In theory. Me and you and, you know, just 11 of our closest friends could get together and make a team and we could try to qualify. And in theory, we could do that. So right now, we what's going on right now is the qualifying for the 2022 U.S. Open Cup. And they start out with the amateur teams, mostly amateur teams. Like There's no rule saying a professional team can't enter this. That's really kind of complicated but for the most part the vast majority of these teams 
our amateur teams. And right now they're playing in a single elimination tournament across the country, and they're trying to qualify for next year's Open Cup, which begins in the spring. Yes, yeah, one of the things that uh, <laughs> is definitely a caveat to the tournament when it's played in normal uh, circumstances is uh, the amateurs do the qualifying rounds for the next year kind of around the same time as the the end stages of the current year, right? Yeah, there, there, there's been there's been quite a few years where the the early qualifying tournament or the, the qualifying tournament has to have, have overlapped with the, the final. So we're already looking ahead to the next year's tournament while the, the, the current one is wrapping up. And they, and we've had, uh, we used to have state qualifying. It used to be very complicated. And thankfully the Federation took over the qualifying process themselves, which, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say that because there've been a lot of people who have complained about how it operates, but in theory, the idea of them taking over the, the tournament so that they control the whole thing is, is made it a lot easier to follow because before it used to be every state, or at least every state that took part, would enter would have a state open cup tournament, and then from the state championship or the state champion would move on to the regional championship, and then they would play the regionals, and then you would then get into the, the open cup that way. And that was through the USASA. And then any other organization outside of the USASA, which aren't many, but there are a few, they would have to do their own separate qualifying tournament. And so you'd have like three, sometimes four different tournaments going on. And then you'd have state tournaments and then regional tournaments. And it was really hard to follow. And now it's basically like, if you're a team under the US soccer umbrella and you want to take part, just sign up and we'll make a giant bracket and we'll make it work. And that's basically what they do. And that's what we're dealing with right now. Right now, the the first round, which was very minimal, there were only a few teams in the first round, and a big chunk of the second round have been played. And now we're waiting for the draw of what will be the second round and part of the third round. Yeah, it's it's complicated. I'm trying my best. <laughs> you the, the in theory about the the federation does a lot of work in that last answer, Josh. But I did want to ask you. So, uh, in normal state of affairs, what round do uh, the pro teams and the MLS teams and the like uh, join the process? So that changes from year. I mean, it's been fairly consistent. Where major league soccer teams come in usually the fourth round, and so that's our big. And I can't remember it off the top of my head. I think it's, is it the fifth round in the FA cup where the premier league teams jump in? I third think, or fourth. I there, there's like, or there's like one round where they it's all the third round actually. Is it third? Okay. So they, well, they, either way, that's our big round is the fourth round. And what they try to do is they try to have a lower division team play against a major league soccer team. So basically the entire round is like a big David versus Goliath fest. And that, to me, is like the highlight of the whole, like, never mind the championship. I mean, the championship's great. Yeah, we all, we all love to, you know, a cup final. But it's usually Major League Soccer versus Major League Soccer. So the having the, the fourth round is just is fantastic. And, and that is just so much drama. And there's so much, uh, you know, you know, the, the underdog stories, there's at least, you know, once in a while, there's an amateur team that makes it far enough to play a major league soccer team. Obviously, if anybody follows soccer in the state of Michigan, you know, the, the Flint city bucks have not only played multiple major league soccer teams, but they have beaten two of them. They're the only amateur team that has done that in the modern era. So it's uh it's great. I mean, that's, that's where it's at. However, the, the teams before them, the, you know, the third division and the second division leagues, they jump in earlier. And so that's the thing that changes from, from year to year. They try to tweak the, you know, the draw and, and try to get all the numbers and the teams to line up. So the, the, you know, sometimes uh, they'll start out in the second round with the division three teams. Sometimes, you know, in the first round, it really just depends on how, how many teams there are and, and how the, the numbers all work out. So that is uh, an aspect that I wanted to ask was, Obviously, we're on Michigan Soccer Central, so why are there no Michigan teams partic- participating in the new edition of the Open Cup? 
Yeah, I, you know what? Uh, that would be a question for for the teams, really. But I would say I would venture a guess that uh, it probably just has a lot to do with you know a lot of teams are are still dealing with the the after effects and the current effects of of the pandemic and uh, and probably don't have the financial means to pull it off because in you could have some pretty significant travel costs in, involved if you make a run. I mean that is one of the things that. I would hope that they are told about that teams are told about before they enter is that, you know, this is great. And it, you know, everybody loves a, a cup competition, but there are some financial realities. And, and some of them are that you have to pay a bond, you know, a thousand dollar bond fee to, to get in. So that way, if you bail, if you like, you know, forfeit or just don't show up or something, then, you know, they keep your money and kind of keeps that <laughs> keeps the, the forfeiting to a minimum. And, um, and, and, you know, there's travel costs. And while the Federation does help out with travel costs in certain circumstances, it still is a cost that you've got to pay up front. And so I, I have to imagine that there's a financial element to that. I mean, every team is different. I mean, the, the, there's a team in Dallas, the, the North Texas uh, Riotos, who have been a regular in the tournament for the last, you know, seven, eight years. And uh, they, they played against the Houston Dynamo. They were one of the few amateur teams to make it to an MLS round and, and gave them a run for their money, which was, uh, which was fun to see. They aren't entering. And I, I, I emailed them and was like, Hey, uh, surprised to not see your name on the draw. And they're like, yeah, we, uh, we just got old <laughs> and we just, we don't have, we don't have the numbers, you know, like we got some young guys and they're good, but you know, I mean, if you want to participate in this tournament, you gotta, you gotta mean it. And, and, and just having a team just kind of thrown together that, that doesn't, you know, and also you got to have uh, players that are dedicated to it. And, and so they were just like, you know, some are, a lot of our key guys are, are just uh, too old. So that was, but that was their situation. So er- everyone else has, uh, has their own, you know, their own reasons. There are a few, a few teams that, uh, that bowed out this year for financial reasons. And so it's, uh, hopefully that gets ironed out, you know, as, as we attempt as best we can to return to normal in this, uh, post pandemic world. So, so that's, uh, that's where it's at basically. So it's disappointing not to see any Michigan teams in this year. So there isn't anything uh, barring them. They didn't qualify. Like the Michigan teams just literally didn't sign up then. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, and, and unfortunately, uh, you know, this is, it, it's been kind of a trend over the years that, that there has not been a lot of Michigan representation in, in the tournament at the amateur level. So that's, that's always, I mean, for somebody like me, you know, it, covering this tournament and, you know, there aren't a lot of opportunities for me to cover games in person. And so over the last 18 years, like every year, the, the qualifying portion of the tournament comes up and I'm like, oh, all right, which which uh, which Michigan teams are going to be in? And it'll be like Ann Arbor FC and maybe another one <laughs> like it was like maybe two teams tops that would that would enter. So it, it, it a little disappointing in that in that respect. But uh, it just it isn't a huge I don't know. It, it's not a huge draw in, in Michigan for some reason. But then you look at states you know like pennsylvania and massachusetts and you know obviously california like southern california is just you know booming with with teams that enter so you know it's there's not been a lot but you know livonia livonia city made a good run a couple years ago uh that was that was good to see ann arbor fc is always a regular in the tournament uh but they haven't qualified yet but it's uh it's i i personally always root for the michigan teams to get in you know just to just to have that that local connection, but uh, it just hasn't happened recently. You mentioned the Bucks uh, beating two MLS teams, and just reminded me of um, a few years ago when Detroit City FC uh, went and scored uh, a couple of really good goals against Cincinnati um, a few years ago, and there Cincinnati was uh, before they made the move to the MLS, and uh, that was definitely uh, a fun watch. And I recall that uh, amateur team, I believe it was from Pennsylvania, that uh, scored a, a, a goal against D.C. United. And I believe it was like a store based out of a liquor store. Yeah, Christos FC is yeah. uh, has definitely made a name for themselves. Uh, they're they're based in Maryland. And uh, mm. they, yeah, they, they 
scored the opening goal against DC United. And, uh, and, and that was, I mean, that's the kind of thing that I, I think that we have, at least within soccer, I mean, it wasn't mainstream, uh, but it did that, that goal did make sports center, by the way. Yeah, I remember uh, they, there was just a, a squad of people with like those bright green shirts that went yeah. absolutely berserk when uh, that goal went in. That was definitely uh, uh, a game, a moment to savor. Um, what other moments, uh, you know, do you hold dear? Because, I mean, you've been covering it for the website. You are the senior editor of the Cup.us uh, covering the game or covering the tournament since 2003. So, um, are there any other moments that uh, you hold dear? You know, I I would say that my well, my first Open Cup game was it took place in Saginaw when the Bucks were hosting the Tampa Bay Mutiny. That was kind of my my moment with the tournament. That kind of uh, you know the the moment you fall in love with it. And, and, and I was sitting there like you know in, I think it was so that was ninety nine. And I was, you know, a couple of years removed from high school and we heard that like, yeah, the Tampa Bay Mutiny are going to be playing at a middle school in Saginaw, Michigan against an amateur team called the Mid-Michigan Bucks. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. Why, why, would, <laughs> why would they do that? <laughs> like, what, what, what would make a major league soccer team from Florida come up to Saginaw? And then that was like, I looked it up and I got all the, you know, all the information. I'm like, this is amazing. Why isn't this a thing? <laughs> like, I don't understand. And, and so a buddy of mine, you know, in the middle of the week went up to, uh, went up to Saginaw and, and watched this game. And I sat there about a few feet from the sideline on the ground because there weren't any bleacher seats available. And, uh, and I watched Carlos Valderrama and, uh, and, and Steve, I think Steve Ralston was, I mean, it was like they played their, their full team. Like it was not a, it was not just like throwing out. I mean, like Scott Garlic. Oh, you know what? I, I just happened to have the, the, the roster for this game right in front of me. Uh, yeah. Scott Garlic was in, in goal. Carlos Valderrama played the full 90. Steve Ralston, Musa Shannon. If you remember him, he was a pretty good goal scorer. Uh, Dominic Kinnear, who uh, obviously people know as a, as a manager now. So they they put out a full blown roster, and the Bucks lost two to one. They scored an early goal, and then uh, Musa Shannon scored in the second half. And then the Bucks had Stephen Armstrong score, who went on to play in the pros. He scored a goal, and it was two to one for the last fifteen minutes. And it was a wild last two minutes. And uh, so that was my moment. That was it. And uh, and later that year, I picked a good year to to be introduced to the Open Cup because. That later that year, or that 1999 was the year that Rochester Raging Rhinos made it to the championship game and won the tournament, and they became the first non-MLS team and still the only non-MLS team to win the tournament in the modern era. And so I went down to Columbus, Ohio, you know, in the middle of the week, and me and roughly 4,000 of my closest friends like watched uh, the Rhinos make history and beating the Colorado Rapids. So that, that was, that was kind of it for me. Those, those two games really stand out as like the, the ones that, you know, the, my first experience and then uh, getting to watch the, the Rhinos make history and in, in 99, the 99 final. Fantastic uh, stories of American soccer lore right there. Uh, Josh, that's, that's oh, great stuff. There's one bonus out of that. Uh, you don't see it on TV if you ever if, if you ever get a hold of the video uh, that was on ESPN two that that Rhinos game. Uh, me and uh, a buddy had had dreams to start a PDL team in Lansing, and so we had East Lansing Football Club. Uh, we had an East Lansing Football Club sign in the front row, fifty yard line, like right there. And, and there, there's so many shots. If you watch it where we're like, Oh, we're going to be on TV. No. And they like, pant, they like move away just as they're about to show the sign. So I, so there was, there was some Michigan representation at that game. So I can, I can say that much. So when you're in the late nineties, you discover the tournament, you have your moment and you said, why isn't this a thing? So over the last like 20 years or so, have you discovered why? You know, it just, it's soccer in general. I, I think that soccer has had a hard time, you know, establishing itself. And obviously it's come a long way. Like it's, I, I think that 
just getting Major League Soccer off the ground and being stable and and I mean the the things that that MLS has has accomplished is is incredible with you know stadiums and you know that it's on TV all the time. I mean back when we were following that uh, you know in in the late nineties that we, you know we were looking at box scores in the USA Today. <laughs> like just trying to fo- follow what was happening or very early message boards and things like that. So, you know, now it's just everywhere. And, uh, and, but the thing is, is like, you know, the top league has definitely gotten better and gotten more exposure. USL has gotten better and gotten more exposure. So we're, we're seeing more soccer, but then the open cup just has kind of been secondary in that. And I feel like a lot of cup competitions kind of are, but what I feel is the best thing about the Open Cup is the fact that you could say that the FA Cup, which is amazing by itself, has it's kind of had its its peak. Like it, it, it had it had its day where, you know, you talk to people who were around 20 years ago and they they'll talk about how the FA Cup, you know, getting to the FA Cup semifinals and the final and and all these stories and, you know, Remember that time we scored a goal against Manchester United and then we lost eight to one. Like those kind of stories just aren't as big now. Like it's kind of had its day and it's still around. It's still great, but it's just not up to that level in terms of popularity. The U.S. Open Cup has never peaked. It has never had its moment. And so, you know, being the optimist that I am, I I have to think that at some point it's going to, and once mainstream sports fans are are, are exposed to it, I think it, it has so much potential because you just think about like the uh, the every person I talk to when I tell them that Lansing Lugnuts or I usually just use whatever minor league baseball team is local to them, you know, and just and use the Yankees. That's always an easy one. And anytime I tell somebody who's not a soccer fan about it. They, they were like, that sounds amazing. We should do that. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. That's what I cover. And, uh, and I feel like there would be fans who sort of like March Madness. Obviously, I'm not saying it's going to be as big as March Madness. But I'm saying at the way that March Madness is where people who don't really care about basketball or college sports in general, they are at least aware that it's going on and they pay attention to it for the, you know, for the little time that it's, that it's going on. I I think that it could be that for, for mainstream sports where, you know, it's that, it's that term and you tune into me, you tune into the fourth round because all the MLS teams play against the lower division teams and the amateur teams. And that's what you tune in for. So I, I think that it, it could be, could be on the map on, on, on the sporting landscape in America at some point, but it has to be, they have to have money. They have to put the marketing behind it, and they got to let people know about it because I can't do it by myself. <laughs> you're trying, though. You're trying. I mean, you've been uh, with uh, an outlet for a very long time that is solely dedicated to that. So tell us about uh, the website that you're the editor of, the, the cup.us. Um, uh, what can be, can be found on your site? Well, we just uh, cover the tournament as we feel that it should be. I mean, we do our best. I mean, we're mostly just volunteers uh, putting it together, and uh, there's just a handful of us that uh, that do it. It's it's not unlike uh, Michigan Soccer Central. We're just trying to trying to build it and try to try to uh, give it the coverage it deserves. And you know, we we have uh, social media. We're on social media, and we keep people updated about that. And uh, you know, we we just we try to also tell the the history of the tournament too. So we, you know, I, I think the other day was like the anniversary of Sporting Kansas City or, you know, back then they were the Wizards winning their first Open Cup. And, you know, I, I wrote a, a feature story about that and uh, we reposted that. And, and you know, talking to talking to players like Tony Miola, uh, who, you know, they a lot of players and coaches will give you a lip service about the Open Cup. They're like, oh, it's an important tournament. And, you know, we, we try to win every tournament, da, 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 da. And, you know, and they may mean that, but like talking to somebody like Tony Miola and he like, he's still mad that he got benched in an open cup game from like 15 years ago. <laughs> like he, he cares. And like, there are players like that. It's really exciting to like hear that from them, that they actually genuinely cared about the tournament. So 
so we we do a lot of you know looking back and uh in telling the story of this tournament and because they it needs to be told there there's there's so much history and so many great stories and you know going back to the night you know we we've been talking about pandemics and everything and and the open cup was impacted by the spanish flu in 1918 and uh that we we wrote a story about that and and things like that so that's that's the kind of thing we do we try to get people keep people updated up to date on what's going on with the tournament but also you know educate them on uh, on the tournaments and the stories of the past i've made a habit of asking uh passionate soccer folks on this show to tell me about their uh, dream goal that they themselves scored or seen scored. So I'm going to alter that for you. What is the best U.S. Open Cup goal you have seen? In terms of the quality of the goal or just the impact that the goal has? You know, when like, you think of your favorite one, impact or otherwise, just the number one that sticks out, pops in your you know, head. I would... I would say it's probably the goal that um, I think it was Doug Miller. Uh, he scored the goal, the opening goal in the second half. It was like in the 60, 65th minute or something in the 99 final with the Rhinos. And the fact that I was sitting, not by design, it just worked out that way, that I was sitting right next to like the the Rhinos diehards who had made the trip down from Rochester to Columbus in the middle of the week to cheer on the team. Um, I, I think just being a part of that, I think was probably my favorite. Um, and then they scored a, they scored another one late, you know, to put the game away. But so, but just to have that, like that, it was a deadlock game and then, you know, going to halftime scoreless and then to come out and, you know, 15 minutes into the, uh, or no, it was like 20 minutes into the second half and to score that goal. And they're like, Oh my God, this might actually happen. So uh, I think that probably ranks up there pretty high uh, when I think of uh, open cup goals and also helps that I was there. Do you know, I mean, we've seen some pretty impressive, you know, pretty amazing goals in the tournament, but the fact that I was there probably just adds a little bit to it. That's a, that's a fantastic way, memory. Miller is still, was still up until like last year or the year before was still playing in he's in he's 50 something. <laughs> He's playing indoor soccer. He's coaching the the Rochester team. He's he's still playing. He's a he's an amazing amazing player. Before I let you go, is there have you heard any word? Forgive me if you are not uh, privy to this sort of uh, chatter, but are have you heard any intentions of uh, Michigan teams getting involved for um, next year's edition? I haven't, um, but I have to think that we will see some. I I mean, there's so many teams. Uh, that you know obviously the for this tournament i you know i forgot to mention this that the the qualifying tournament does not include teams from usl league two and the npsl however there are some of those teams that have like secondary teams that play in other leagues like you know a upsl team so but that aside they these are all like open division local teams and so there's so many of those, as you are well aware, <laughs> like there are so many of these teams. And I just, I have to think that as time goes on there, we're, we're going to see more and more of these teams enter because, you know, that there's, it's actually not, travel's not that terrible here in this part of the country. You know, you got Chicago and you know Wisconsin's right there and Ohio and Indiana. Like those are places, a lot of, there's a lot of soccer being played there. So I, I have to think that there is there's going to be more teams that enter as, you know, they look at the landscape and they're like, well, you know, maybe worst case scenario, you might go to Pittsburgh. Uh, not very many times does it happen. Like we're Livonia who had to travel down to Lafayette, Louisiana for their open cup qualifier. And was it 2019? I think it was um, that, uh, that that's kind of rare, but, uh, but for the most part, I, I like, I think there's so much talent here in the state that it would be great to see, some of these teams make a run. It sure would. It sure would. Well, Josh Hakala, MSC contributor and senior editor of the cup.us. Thank you so much for joining us here tonight. Yeah. Always glad to talk open cup. All right. That's just about it for Michigan soccer central on this week's episode. Be sure to check out for updates on a, 
on all of our coverage on Michigan Soccer Central social media channels on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you're on there, you'd see lots of high school updates, including the Michigan High School Coaches Ranking, which includes an interesting note that six of this week's top 10 Division I teams are all Oakland County-based sides. Again, be sure to send in your nominations for Team of the Week, our crossover collaboration with We Are Soccer, which is a uh, locally Michigan-produced soccer show that airs on Woodward Sports Network, hosted by Michigan State alumni Craig Hearn. Send either of our outlets a direct message if you see an outstanding performance by a Michigan-based team. We would love to get it, and we get it in our weekly uh, discussion to pick our Michigan Team of the Week. All right, that about does it. Thank you, listener, for listening to this episode of Michigan Soccer Central. I'm Robert Kerr, thanking all of the listeners once again. Thank you so much to all the contributors to Michigan Soccer Central, Jenny Hajnaki for editing the program, Dan Katranza for making the music, and until next time... Enjoy your soccer.